the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. All right. Welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. And we have a much awaited guest with us here today. And from Indiana, Indianapolis, my sister. Hello. Rachel Sahadachni. Welcome. Thank you. It's so great to be here. We've been wanting to do a podcast for quite some time together. Uh, For those of you who have read the Big Silence memoir of mine, Rachel's poetry is featured. So each chapter has either my poetry from growing up or recent. Uh, Rachel's poetry or my dad's lyrics at each chapter opener. Yeah, that's a nice tone in the book, I think. Yeah, I really wanted to bring in the family. Uh, And before we get to the family, what do you think about being in Austin right now? I love being in Austin. (laughs) It's definitely um, a little paradise at your house. It's great to (laughs) hang out with you and the family and the palms and it's very hot right now, but it doesn't seem too bad when the skies are so pretty and the cedar smells and the wind and, uh, of course, the Austin River. Yeah. You just wrote a poem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I've wanted to have Rachel on here. And so last weekend I was in Colorado. I went to go see Jewel perform her last tour stop at Red Rocks, which was incredible. But then while I was in Colorado, there is a book club, which I suggest anyone join because I think I'm going to (laughs) join. If you love reading, TIU Books and Babes. So I did a live Zoom with those women who are a part of the book club. And so this month, they read the Big Silence memoir. And one of the questions they asked me was about you. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, how does Rachel feel? Like, what was her experience? Because in my memoir, I always say, this was my experience. And if my father or my sister were to write a memoir, it would be a different story. Similar, there would be some parallels, 
But we each went through our own experience with our mother being diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic and suffering from depression. So there are all these questions from the ladies. I'm like, you know what? Rachel's in Austin next week. (laughs) Send me some questions and I will have her answer because I cannot answer for her. Yeah. So... I have, they sent me some questions. Okay. I'm very curious. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, again, on this podcast, we are breaking the silence, not afraid to talk about anything. Right. And also, I want to, before we get into this, because it can get into a heavy conversation, sure. and Rachel is our executive director for the Big Silence Foundation and runs the show over here. Uh, she worked in nonprofit for over a decade. Do you want to actually share more about what your work was prior to coming to the Big Silence? Yeah, so I actually come from more of an arts background. I was previous to the Big Silence executive director for a literary arts nonprofit in Indiana called the Indiana Writers Center. And I loved working with writers from all over the state of Indiana, but I was definitely already moving towards mental health and wellness. We were doing a lot of writing for wellness and trying to really help people to be able to deal with who they are and what they're bringing and what needs to be released and how to get help. I think the art space obviously has been, I don't know whether it's actually true, but you'll often hear people say, oh, artists experience a lot of incidences of mental illness. I'm not sure that the research actually backs that up. It's perhaps just that artists are more outspoken is what I would say. They're already doing the work of expressing the unspeakable. So perhaps that was the first frontier kind of where Mm -hmm. that silence might be being crossed and noise might be made. Of course, you know, our experience with our mom was difficult and especially with her illness and coming together through that when Karina told me about wanting to commit to helping people across the world to break the silence and to get help and to make therapy more accessible. I felt like because of my nonprofit background, maybe that has been where I was getting directed to help her, you know, like, because she doesn't have that nonprofit experience and it's a little bit of a tricky world learning how to deal with foundations and grants and all different types of stuff, fundraising, needing donations, Yes, we need donations. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Inspiring people to join your cause and your mission. And I just was like, wow, this is so big. I can't have my sister do it by herself. Like, she's taking on a huge job. She's advocating. She's, you know, telling her story, which is also partly my story. And I just really wanted to be by her side and work on this together. So I'm really, really glad to be with Karina on this journey. Yeah, I mean, after our mother's passing and writing this book and then starting The Big Silence, I'm 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 one who gets in a little over my head quite often. And <laughs> then having you come on board, I'm always Jeremy who works with us. I'm like, "Thank God, what am I doing?" Like the nonprofit world is real like I and it takes all, but you have such a great vision, which is what it needs to start with, right? And then yeah. it's moving that vision into into the concrete, the foundation. <laughs> yeah. And we have all these programs coming up and we have this vision where it's not just a foundation that you hear of. It's we actually have programs and wanting to help people. I'm so happy you're on board. You just said something. Artists are outspoken. 
Because I was talking to Emil Nava yesterday on a podcast, and he's an artist. He's a music director who, when I was on the phone, he was in LA or on the Zoom. He was in LA doing a music video for Justin Timberlake, and he works with um, Emily Harris. Calvin Harris. I'm like looking at Emily, I'm like, who else? <laughs> but um, J Lo, Post Malone, everyone. Yeah. And he was like, I just want to have a voice to do more than just creating music videos. And I was like, this is after the podcast. I think we were just chatting. And I was like, Emil, your music is so healing for people. And he has a very similar upbringing to us. His father was um, diagnosed schizophrenic. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, go listen to that one. It's really good. But um, yeah, so artists are outspoken. Mm-hmm. Tell me more what you mean by that. So the process of making art is really interesting. Some artists choose to make it more political or social, but your personality, your identity is always there as well. And a lot of art is a process of questioning your identity and questioning your norms and your beliefs and really defining your world, yourself, your boundaries, but then questioning those boundaries, saying what if. To find expression, you really have to question everything. And so that's where that outspokenness comes. Like there's that I'm watching something and as an artist, my mind is making it something else. Whatever your format is, whether you're making a music video, like you're seeing something, but you're immediately transforming it into your music video language. As a poet, I'm living something, I'm remembering something, but when I go to the page, I'm turning it into language and a palette of words to make it something that somebody else can not just see, hear, or witness, but feel and have a reaction to. So what is art to you? (laughs) So I love, so I'll speak to poetry because that's my main form. Um, And I love this quote that one of my poetry teachers told me long ago, Alice Fryman, and she said, writing a poem is like throwing up a sheet and trying to find the ghost in the room, right? Mm. <laughs> You're just, you you can't have an expectation of what the end is going to be. It's the process of getting there. And great art makes somebody experience their own process in their mind too, right? When you're reading a book, when you're looking at a painting, ideally, like, something happens. You think of something. Mm-hmm. Is it what the artist meant you to think about? Maybe not. But some kind of thought or experience happens within your mind, too. Art is not only taking something from inside of me, inside of my head, and putting it out in the world, but then when you're taking it in, you're creating something here, too, new, like your interaction with it. As we're on the topic of art, I think art is so important for everyone to experience. And I think there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm just not artistic. I don't have this. But I believe art is such a therapeutic healing thing. I mean, if you go in my house, it's a freaking art gallery. (laughs) But um, for those who don't think they have that creative artistic side and that outlet, I always like to list off ways of what art is in your life. What could that be for someone who's like, well, I'm not a poet. I'm not a a video music video director for Mm JLo. I don't write songs. What are all of the expressions of art? And we can brainstorm together on this. Cooking. Cooking. I know. 
<laughs> cooking is. Yeah. I love cooking. It's very meditative. It's creative. You're like, you're experimenting, right? You like have an idea of what something might taste like, mm-hmm. but until you try and make it, mm-hmm. you don't know whether you're going to succeed or not, but it's very similar to the art process, right? I maybe have an idea of what I want to do, but I got to start trying. But I think cooking, gardening, you mm-hmm. know, creating a beautiful flower arrangement even, like mm-hmm. anything that's sort of tactile and where you don't know exactly where you're going to end up, but you're going to go through the process of trying to get there. I love that. We have this like artist within mm-hmm. and we don't, we as a society and everyone listening, don't know that we're all artists, whatever it may be. Well, and I, I also think part of that might be because we're so directed, right? Like, oh, I'm expecting this outcome. Mm-hmm. So you have to let go a little bit to do something creative or artistic. You have to let go of what the outcome is going to be. So mm-hmm. anything that you can do that's crossing that boundary of like, okay, I'm getting it out of my head. I'm making something with my hands or, and I'm not predicting how it has to be. I just had a thought. Yeah. My executive handyman, yeah, Bobby, aka husband, his art is to fix everything. Like, like not like fix everything in the term of like something's wrong, but like he's out today, like fixing the tour bus, fixing the septic tank, creative <laughs> like, problem solving, yeah, yeah. taking <laughs> that, the challenge, yeah, and that is his art. And he literally loves waking up and he's like, "What is my project today?" Yeah, oh, I love that. All right, so. We're going to dive into TIU Books and Babes and their questions for you. And I glanced over these once, and I don't even remember. It was yesterday, and I just had Emily print it out, and I didn't let you know the questions Mm -hmm. ahead of time. And again, big silence. These are the questions that people want to know, and these are the questions, the answers, the real conversation that may help someone else. Just understand. Question one. It's hard being a big sister. Did you feel extra responsibility for Karina in her mom's absence? Uh, no, I feel extra failure there for sure. <laughs> you know, I wish that I could have been less selfish in my own pain. You know, like I think we were not, we also did not talk a lot about what Mm-mm. was going on. And, um, it was kind of a vacuum and it's like I knew that you were in pain or suffering but then I was mad at you about different things. What were you mad at me about? I still have this memory of like walking in the bedroom and you and one of your friends on the bed like reading my journals you know. Oh I did? Yeah. I don't remember that. (laughs) Shit sorry. (laughs) And uh you know I remember being like oh man she just is she's just so mean or you know something. Really? Yeah. But I mean, well, I remember you never wanted to play Barbies with me. I remember that too. And I would try to bargain and be like, I'll give you this Barbie outfit if you come play with me. I know. Yeah. (laughs) I was too grown up by then. And I think I was very into wanting to be a grown up and I didn't want to be like a child anymore. And so there was this very like, I'm mysterious and and old or something, you know. And I wasn't cool enough to hang. (laughs) And then, you know, by the time I graduated high school and left home and you were going out to California. I mean, we tried to connect many times, but it was certainly inconsistent. And I think 
I mean, I look back to my journals from then. I was a wreck. I did not sleep for days at a time. There, I was in college trying to work and go to school and literally up all the time, like just because of anxiety. And and so I try and forgive myself, you know, like I wish I could have done more, been a better big sister, but there's, you know. You taught me about tampons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's probably because mom did not teach me about them. And okay. I had to like yeah, yeah. learn from a friend too. I was, I was like, like, I'm bleeding. <laughs> I was just on another podcast talking to Lindsay Morgan about it. And I was like, when you start your period, I'm like, well, my big sister told me about tampons and pads, whatever about period. Yeah. And Lindsay was like, at least you had a big sister. She's mm-hmm. like, I didn't know what I was doing. But the selfish thing, you weren't selfish. And I never had that perspective of you. Mm-hmm. We both were going through so much being children with, uh, you know, our mother out of, basically out of the picture in and out of our life. And then our father going through his own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was rough. Yeah. We made it though. Yeah. <laughs> we made it. Um, I would, I would say too, it's like, we both tried to not like be at home or associate with stuff at home. So that might be why there was some of that too, you know? Yeah, we both, home was not a safe place. Yeah. So we were very rarely, I I have very minimal memories of us being at home together. Yeah. I remember one, I do have one memory sitting in the, what used to be the TV room and I rolled a joint for you and we smoked weed together. Really? I don't even remember that. (laughs) Sorry, Dad. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Dad's oh, wow. going to be like, oh, my God. He listens to every podcast. Yeah, Dad. Lauren's room now or whatever. Oh, oh no. Boy. Now it's your therapy room, oh, Dad. Geez. The room where you have your clients. Okay. Um, that was a while ago. It's, it's long gone. <laughs> this is like 25 years ago. I also used to climb in and out that window and sneak I out. I do and- remember that you would do that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I was home, but you mentioned to me, like, oh, that yeah, was, I just go out the window. Yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's not an easy Sorry, climb. Dad. <laughs> yep, that window was my in and out escape. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's in the book, but yeah, I'd love to sneak out at night. But again, home was not a safe place, so yeah. I didn't want to be there. Yeah. Um, okay, next question from our TAU Books and Babes. What were your creative outlets in your youth? Are they different now? I definitely used visual art a lot more when I was growing up, but I've always been a writer. I mean, I have journals going back from five years old. Yeah. And you still have those? Like, I have mine? I have most of them. There's certainly some that have been trashed. Like, actually, I think during middle school when things were really bad with mom, I got rid of a lot of them because she kept digging through all my stuff to, like, mm-hmm. try and find my yeah. journals. Like me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which might have been why it felt like such a betrayal. It's like, my journals are never safe here. No. Um, <laughs> you know, when I was little, though, I loved dance. Mm-hmm. You did tap dancing. I did a lot of tap dancing, yeah. And eventually it wasn't sustainable just with the family and things going on. But I did, I did enjoy that. So anything artistic, I mean, singing, I was never a great singer, but I love singing. I'm a great singer. So I wake in the morning and I step outside and I take a deep breath and I get real high and I scream from the top of my lungs, what's going down? We'll have an album coming out soon. (laughs) All right. I'm going to ask the next question. 
What was your initial reaction to The Big Silence book? Were there stories you didn't know about? If so, what surprised you the most? It definitely, I had to read it in chunks. I could not just like read straight through. I think one thing that happens, which I've dealt with before, even finding my own writing in journals, is like, you forget things, Mm -hmm. you know? It's been a long time, especially during my 20s. I spent a lot of time trying to consciously erase stuff. So, like, reading through some of the younger memories and, like, being taken back there through your memory was hard. Um, And then, of course, I, I had some suspicions of, like, how things were with mom in that apartment when you first moved to California. But Mm -hmm. I suspected there might be some abuse going on with her partner that she chose, but I didn't know how bad it was. So that was, you know, really hard to read. And What surprised you the most? Gosh, that's a good question. I guess the way that you take to the really dark places, but you're able to, like, come out of it. And it's that's a hard journey to take. I was surprised that you remembered so much. <laughs> yeah, because I was fucked up. <laughs> I was like, dang, how does she remember so much? I can't I, remember some of this stuff at all. Bobby tells me I have a really good memory. <laughs> <laughs> you, you definitely do, because I was just like, whoa. <laughs> that was, I think, what surprised me the most is just like— My memory that yeah. I still have one? <laughs> Not that you have one, but just I was like— blown away by, like, the things I had forgotten, too. Yeah. You know, it's hard reading that story. I guess maybe you're not as able to be surprised either, because, of course, I had, like, a little guard or shield up, because I knew it was going to be, there's going to be parts that are hard to read. So yeah. I was just really proud of you for getting through it. And we talked about it many times as you were writing, and I'm like, because you were revising for a long time, and, you know, from my background as a writer and working with writers, I was like, oh, yeah. The revision is like where the real work starts coming in because you can get it down, but then to make it the art, to make it what it needs to say is hard. And, you know, having that eye where you can step back mm-hmm. and and let it become its own medicine or pill or, you know, it's a, it has to be its own format at some point. Like it exists in you and then you put it out and it has to become its own thing. Yeah, I definitely... In the revisions, when we speak about that, it was more like, I was like, just put it all in there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't let Bobby read it. He, I don't think I let No, you didn't let me read it either. I was that. like, what's going on in that book? <laughs> Nobody, because I didn't want anyone to shift my mind of what I was going to share of my experience yeah. or be embarrassed about anything. I remember even, uh, I asked Jeremy, I was like, do I mention about the eating disorder? It's briefly in there, but I'm like, well, hell yeah, because so many teenagers have that yeah. and that pressure growing up. Mm-hmm. Even with dad, I don't know if he's talked to you about the book. Mm-hmm. He's he has. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> I think I, I think like I was in the car with him as he oh. took me to the airport to like either L.A. maybe like right after he read it like the first time and I. Well, he read it, and I said, Dad, I don't actually want any feedback. <laughs> <laughs> and he all I think all he said to me was just, wow, I had no idea. And I'm so proud of you girls. Yeah, I think mostly he was uh, feeling regret, maybe, that, that our relationships weren't different back then, that we didn't come to him 
and tell him what was going on, but geez. He I had mean, his own stuff going on. Well, and mom, like, you know, it took a long time to get our minds clear from all of the stories that she yeah. had been telling us for years. So, And I wouldn't change a thing. We have a beautiful life now, and we wouldn't be able to have this experience without that experience. Mm-hmm. It was hell, but it, I'm so happy I'm here to smile about it now. Uh, it's a wild story. Shit. <laughs> 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 ah, All right. So next questions from our TAU Books and Babes. Do you think it was harder for you to have empathy for your mom than Karina? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. But Karina definitely... I'm speaking to them instead of you, apparently. <laughs> Karina definitely, like, would show up for mom over and over again, where I was like, I, I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back into a relationship with her. I don't want to talk to her. Like, it took me so long to find peace with mm-hmm. mom. But it's because of you that I did, because you didn't give up. And you kept saying, no, it's okay. You were meeting her where she was. And it was really, really fucking hard. But you kept meeting her where she was. And so eventually I was like, okay, I'm an adult now. I'm mature. I can figure this out. I can figure out how I can meet mom where she is. And I can find peace and find empathy. And, you know, a lot of that was first I had I had a lot more healing I had to do to be able to find empathy. Because I had to see the wounds that she gave me that I was still, like, I had taken in and made them my own. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the biggest way I got through that was when I was working on my thesis manuscript for my master's program. And I, that was when mom had been living in our garden and you were helping her with hotels or trying to get her set up in Mm -hmm. Washington. And um, I was writing a lot of poems about her. But the way that she was running from things, the way that she wasn't facing things, and then me writing stuff and having to, like, really face, like, succeeding in a goal that I'd wanted to succeed in for over a decade, which was getting my master's and, like, having to confront my own inner demons. So I kind of personified her in some of the poems. But at the same time, they were, like, facing poems about myself, and they were, like— investigating this boundary of identity. Like, where did my identity blend into hers? Like, what were aspects of my identity that I had taken in from her? And so to get through that, of course, I had to face a lot of my own characteristics that I didn't care about for myself, um, that I wanted to heal or recognize and be able to improve upon. And... It was weird because then I was like, oh, I got that for my mom. She never was able to make that step to recognize it, to heal from it. She left every time things were hard for her, you know. Mm -hmm. She abandoned not just our family, but, I mean, place and place again. Like, she always left. Um, And I thought, (laughs) I remember having a thought. I was like, I see now. Yeah, it sometimes it feels like it would be easier to just like go away, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, I would like to just pack up 
and head out and like not have to deal with whatever I'm dealing with right now that might seem too big. So I, I kind of like, there were moments where I was like, oh, I can understand why she left. She couldn't see a way out. It was too big. She didn't have the tools. She didn't know what to do. But isn't, I always have said that doing the healing and not running from your quote-unquote well, yeah. demons, it's much harder to do the work yeah. and to stay and confront them and be like, I am here. I'm going to face you and I'm going to heal from you. Right. But then it's a lot of work and we've done the work and we continuously do Continuous, work. yeah. Um, but mom just kept running and running mm-hmm. and running. Yeah. Not only from her mental illness, which she struggled from, but she even, you know, and until I was with her the last few days of her life in hospice, when she finally admitted to her mental health and her mental illness, and I, you know, told her what we're doing with the big silence, and, you know, she nodded her head, and she was afraid of that. She was just running from her illness, running, but she never got to live life. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, there wasn't... I mean, I don't... We've read some of her journals. Yeah, we have. Um, You know, there was just maybe not an ability to accept who she was either, you know? Yeah. I don't know for sure because I've certainly never talked to mom about it. Um, She certainly never entered a deep conversation with me. Yeah, it was impossible. Yeah, so... Even me... um, when she was in at Atria, which was assisted living before she was able to live on her own with the cabin that Bobby and I got her, you know, and I was explaining to her, trying to enter those deep conversations and explaining to her about our, our childhood growing up. And she looked at me and she goes, what? You went through some, like, I thought you guys were just having dinner every night as a happy family. I'm like, Fuck no. <laughs> yeah. If, but that is what, like, with the brain and the mental illness and all of this and just the development. And that's where you have to develop also for us the empathy to understand that like, her brain couldn't understand or comprehend because of the disease. Yeah. And you have to, yeah, you know, and she certainly talked about her brain being damaged in certain ways. She had yeah. some MRIs that had shown... Um, if you remember that, yeah, like some of the gray matter being damaged. And I'll rem- I, you know, and so I think that's where I eventually was like, okay, mom is where she is. I don't need to, I don't need to hold anything against her anymore. Like yeah. I, I have done the work of figuring out or trying to, right. <laughs> where those holds were still in me, like where I had um, sort of allowed myself to take in her mm-hmm. thought patterns or. Her way of, her, you know, there's some bitter ways and some, like, self-loathing ways that she had, I think, that, you know, or that idea of, like, deserving to be in pain, deserving to suffer. Oh, she yeah. loved being a victim. Yeah. And so, like, learning where that was overlapping in my life or keeping me from doing things that I wanted to do, like, learning that, you know, right before you have a, you break a boundary, like, it, of course you question everything that you're doing because you're like, is it worth it? <laughs> you're like, yeah. yeah, you're supposed to, like, if it is, then you say yes to that question. You don't sit there and go, why am I doing this, you know? Yeah. 
All right, I'm going to go on to the next question here. What about your relationship with your dad? Was there resentment there? How about now? Dad and I have had a lot of conversations over the years about trauma and healing. It's interesting because even he worked a lot and he had music and he wasn't in the house a lot as we were growing up. And mom was such a huge figure in our life that it's, he maybe didn't get credit or attention in some ways that could have been. Like, I I don't have many poems about dad. Like, I don't write about dad in my Mm -hmm. stuff that often, um, at least not yet. Right. <laughs> but it was hard to understand what he was going through as. Well, we all were. Yeah. Like, are, I don't, I don't know that. I don't think I had resentment towards him. Certainly there were times where we didn't get along, but I don't remember anything like resentment. I do remember I had to learn that there was neglect there. Dad, I know you listen to every podcast. We've all we all love each other and have moved on. But there was there was a neglect, but not in purposeful. It's just he I couldn't imagine being like he we just all were going through our own shit. Well in the frame the frame that was happening, like it kept progressively going like smaller, smaller. Like it started out here, a wide mm-hmm. angle, and it kept going smaller, smaller, smaller. Like everything that mom did, we were rationalizing. Mm-hmm. And dad too rationalizing and so I'm like I guess I could resent him for like allowing her to take us for the weekend sometimes do you remember that she would take us to her apartment the empty one the empty one which like I mean well it was also empty when I moved to LA and lived with her and her homeless abusive soon to be husband but yeah but not having a bed for a child and making them sleep on the floor on a towel and things like this are actually classified as neglect yeah (laughs) so I normalized it (laughs) yeah I mean it becomes normalized there's you know so I had to reconcile that but it's been so long I mean I have so many other experiences with dad and knowing him now as an adult and just we could talk about everything we have talked about many things Um, he's a very genuine listener and he very compassionate, empathetic person with a wealth of knowledge, too, about trauma and healing and addiction and all kinds of ways to help humans be better. I'm going to have him, when everybody's coming out for Thanksgiving, I'm going to have him on the podcast. (laughs) I know. Get ready. It'll be a long one. (laughs) No, I know. Dad and I... We didn't get along, obviously, because mom had brainwashed me to be against my father growing up. And I talk about it in the book. But um, and then when I was like, I'm moving to California, he's like, I'm disowning you. I'm going to take your car and this and that. And then I'm just a stubborn little fucker. And <laughs> he's like, all right, you're going to go to California no matter what. He's like, I'll drive you out. And so, you know, he let me fly. I think he was proud of you, too, though. He's like, all right, she's. She's gonna, she's gonna do something. Yeah, I, I mean, Dad had his own California dreams too. I, said, know, you know. I know, and then when I moved to Texas, he's like, "I miss California." <laughs> <laughs> he loves going out there. 
still have a place in Palm Springs. Um, okay, so the next question from our gals. When and what did it take for you and your sister to come together again? Hmm, together again. I would never say we were ever apart, but we've just been closer now through the past few years. Yeah, there's definitely been times where we're both building our career or building relationships where maybe we didn't talk as often, but I wouldn't say we ever were just like... We never like... Except when I read your journals as a little girl, I well, guess. I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even you would come to see, like when you were in high school still, you would come to see me at Ball State sometimes. Yeah. And then I would go to see you in California. I don't think we ever went any period of time without we were just busy. being together. Yeah. It's just busyness. And now with our mother passing and everything, and now we're working together, it's it's great. Life has its ebbs and flows and its seasons and all of that. And it's even like, I always mention this with like Katrina, everyone's like, you guys aren't together enough. <laughs> it's like, that's life's seasons and yeah. what we're all going through. All right. TIU Books and Babes says, did you resent your sister, aka me? Dur oh, me. Did you resent me? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> during your youth for my relationship with mom. Was there upset feelings towards Karina for continuing her relationship with your mom? We oh. kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. I wouldn't say I was ever resentful or upset with you. I was always like, maybe I felt a little guilty sometimes because I was like, man, Karina's doing so much work with mom and I'm just like over here like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I didn't, you know... If anything, I was, like, worried for you, like, oh, man, are you going to be okay? Um, but I, I don't think I was ever resentful. I was, I mean, mom was, and I told mom many times, I was like, mom, you're lucky if you have Karina. <laughs> I mean, you did really step up for her. Well, I felt so much, I, I had the ability and you know, with my career and everything, the financials to be able to buy her house, to be able to get her the best doctors, yeah. to be able to do this. And like, that's my giving back. And so there was never like, oh, no one's, Rachel's not doing enough. Yeah. This. It's like I never that, got any of that from you. Yeah. yeah. It, this is when you are given something and such a gift where I'm not going to let something happen to my mother no matter what, even if she didn't ever recognize me or say, I'm proud of you. I think. Oh, on, in hospice, she might have said, I'm proud of you. Oh. And I love you. Oh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the last question from the ladies. Did you feel forgiveness and or closure when your mom passed away? Oh, man. So what I felt when mom passed away was like everything that could never happen now, you know? Like, even though I thought I got over, like, any idea of having a great relationship with my mom or being close with her emotionally or any anything or, like, her ever coming to Indianapolis to see me and Matthew or, um, like, once she died, like, literally any any daydream you could ever have or any fantasy that you could ever have about how someone might heal mm -hmm. or how you might wish a relationship could be just disappears. So, I felt that. <laughs> it was definitely, I, you know, it was an unusual several months leading up to that. I, 
like, as you know, I mean, I certainly went from talking to her, like, maybe once a month to, like, every day. Um, and that was pretty intense. Um, and she was afraid a lot of the time, so that was pretty intense. Yeah, she had a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. And on on death, that yeah. was it. She realized like it was here, mm-hmm. and uh, closure. I don't know if I'll ever have closure. Really, I mean, I still have thoughts of her, and I, I don't know. That's an interesting question. <sighs> here come the tears. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like I had closure. It's very interesting. I mean, being with her the last three days is, and the fear of death and the look in someone's eyes like that. We don't, that can be a whole different podcast. But uh, when you were there, I wasn't there in person. She did call me on FaceTime, like, after she decided to go to hospice. And she said, Rachel, do you have anything you want to say to me? Did you? I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I was just like, I, I told her that I loved her, and I told her that it hurt me that she was in so much pain, and um, I knew that she had fought as much as she could and that she did her best, you know? Yeah. And that was kind of all I could. I mean, I wasn't going to sit there and be like. Well, you went to the hospital like a month Yeah. Later. With me in San Diego, and then, um, but yeah, I did, you know, I mostly just was like, I don't know, it was a weird phone call, of course, like as always, yeah. <laughs> but it was the only time she FaceTimed me from the hospital. That was yeah. Well, on that note, would you like to read a poem? Sure. This is so, as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast. Uh, it's either my poems or journal entries or my dad's lyrics from his songs or Rachel's poetry at the beginning of each chapter. And I put this one in the very front of the book because I love it. And my dad actually um, took Rachel's lyrics and made it into a song, which after this, we're going to close it out with dad's song. So Rachel will read the poem and then... We will say sayonara, and you can listen to my dad sing it. I forgot how to pray. For a while, I forgot how to pray. Every morning, I woke up vacant to the gray light seeping through the shades. And now when I look back, every bone in my neck cracks. What was I searching for? I wonder who am I looking for? I've got my hand on the door in front of me. My fingers tremble as I turn the key. When I depend on someone, can I depend on me? Every side is sliding. I dreamed I drove into the river, but my car didn't sink. I had someone I loved beside me, and the car didn't sink. We careened wildly on the water, crashing through the currents, skidding over whirlpools. I was driving on the water as if it were a road, but I was barely in control. I didn't sink, and neither did you. When every side is sliding, 
If I depend on someone, can I depend on you? Will you depend on me? I've got my hand on the door in front of me, but my fingers tremble as I turn the key. Can I depend on me? When every side is sliding, I always slip through. Thank you. And here, the beautiful poem put to lyrics from our daddy, Nick Ivanovich. For a while I forgot how to pray Every morning I woke up vacant With gray light seeping through the shades And now as I look back Every bone in my neck cracks I wonder what was I searching for Got my hand on the door in front of me My fingers tremble as I turn the key When I depend on someone Can I depend on me? Every side is sliding I dreamed I drove into the river But my car didn't sink I had someone I loved beside me We careened wildly on the water Crashing through the currents Skidding over whirlpools I've got my hand on the door in front of me My fingers tremble as I turn the key When I depend on someone Can I depend on me? Every side is sliding Side is sliding. I always slip. 